deer panted for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Brother, even though you are a king, you alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire and I love.
everyone. Go ahead and stand with me. We are here together today. What a second week under the tent, and it is such a um, blessing to be able to be back, and good to see all of you. Some of you I'm seeing for the first time in like 95 days or something like that, and others of you were here last week. But we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus, no matter how and, and where we gather. And I want to let you know about a couple things that are going on today. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's table, communion, uh, near the end of the service. And so there's some elements there, kind of some self, uh, you know, individual packages there. Don't let those distract you too much during the service. We'll use those at the end, okay? And offering is being taken like it was last week back. There's two things up there, and then you can still do online and mail in if you'd like. Uh, but thank you for being a generous church. If you're brand new at Grace, we're let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's pray together. Lord.
Jesus, my Redeemer, there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only
Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. We get to read the Bible out loud. Public reading of Scripture is good. And this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, the only perfect part of the worship service. Let's go ahead and read. Uh, this will, I'll be reading Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging and encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word, and we know that the Spirit of God uses the word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. That's what we're trusting today. And if you would, uh, please have a seat. I'm going to go ahead and pray now. And as we go to a time of prayer, knowing the upheaval in the world, but also knowing the upheaval in our own hearts, our own homes at times, uh, we're going to look to God who alone can bring truth and justice and righteousness to bear in every place. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God Almighty. You are good. You are perfect. You are true. You are just. You are righteous. You are gracious. You are merciful. Thank you, Lord, that you are here with us, and we praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your greatness. And we, Lord, we come in your presence knowing that we are sinful people and that we have not done what you have instructed us to do. We have not trusted in you as we ought. We have done things that, that we are ashamed of. And Lord, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And our hope in Christ secures that. We know because we trust the finished work of Christ, Lord. I pray that every person who hears these words would be trusting their soul that you would give us peace even in the midst of turmoil in our hearts and across our nation and across the world pray lord by your grace that the sun would not go down on our anger that we would not give the devil an opportunity that we would never pay back evil for evil that we would never take our own revenge lord i pray that we would appropriately mourn and lament our own sins and mourn and lament over uh, the outcomes of sin that we see across the land. I pray, Lord, you'd give us wisdom and humility and prayerfulness and help us to help others. And Lord, may we wait upon you. May we, may we speak your word, not the world's agenda. May you give us discernment, Lord, to know how to speak and how to act in this time. And Lord, please remind us, please remind us that the gospel, your word, is the only real answer to the problems that exist in our world. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel addresses sin. And we know that sin is at the heart of all of our problems. 
And Lord, we're not wanting to be superficial. We're wanting to, to give the true answer for the hope of the world, it's Jesus Christ. So Lord, may we not be ashamed of the gospel. It is your power to salvation for all who believe, Jew and Greek, all ethnicities, all nations, all tongues. You're all sufficient word, Lord. We, we trust in you. You are perfect. You are good. You are, you are our authority. We look to you in your word. We pray, Lord, that this time would be pleasing to you and that we would yield to the work that you want to do in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
that our hope is not here in this earth, God, that our hope is not in things that, that can't be explained completely or understood. But God, we know that you are sovereign over all and our hope lands not in our ability to control or answer, but God, in your ability. God, your ability, your control, and God, Christ's sacrifice, we thank you that, that our end is not here, but we look forward to a country that sin has not stained, God. We look forward to a, uh, a heaven where there are no more tears or sadness or sin. God, we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are living in a crazy, crazy disunified time, aren't we? This is like unhinged would be an upgrade, right? We're living in a crazy disunified time and people are polarized by politics and by policies and by preferences. People are divided by race and by hate and by opinions and by just like a multitude of perspectives. And people are taking sides, people are arguing, they're opposing one another, they're having these one-sided arguments, they're shutting down discussion. And I think there are dangerous levels of anger and hatred and stress and unrest. So really unhinged would truly be an upgrade. There is so much disunity right now. And everybody wants to blame someone. We want to find fault. And of course, it's not us. I've done my share of blaming in my life. I remember once when I was a kid, I've got two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. And my older sister locked me, uh, no, excuse me. My older sister was mean to me. I locked her out of the house. Yeah, I had the power at that moment. I remember my mom was telling me this week, she goes, here's what you did. You don't remember this probably. Arguing back and forth through the door and basically, she takes her hands and pushes on the door and breaks the glass. So all her fault, right? Of course. And like there was glass everywhere. There were shards of glass in arms and foreheads. And uh, there was a trip to the ER. And I remember getting in the most trouble. But to this day, it was her fault. I mean, totally her fault, right? No. So seriously, we always want to blame someone. We don't want to take responsibility. And I know, for me, to, it feels a little weird today to be preaching on unity when we live in such a disunified time, right? But this is actually the best time to preach on unity because it's the great time to ask the church, who are we and why do we gather? Who are we and why do we gather? Why do we exist as a church? We're, there will always be disunified times. There will always be peace uh, and unrest going on at the same time. And when there's unrest, we just long for peace, right? But the answer to who we are and why we gather is, is biblical and it's simple. It's we belong to Christ to worship Christ. Every Christian belongs to Christ to worship Christ. And that doesn't mean like, oh, come to a church service and sing some songs and hear a sermon and leave. And, oh, I worshiped, you know, now I turn that button off but you come together with fellow Christians 
to worship God with all your heart. You, you read the word, you pray, you hear the scriptures, you, you hear them preached, uh, you sing songs, and then you scatter to worship God. So we are to worship God in all of life. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Isn't that a, a switch that we flip? So to say that the, the church belongs to Christ and that we are to worship Christ is as on point as you can get in a world that is literally upside down. And so it's all the more reason to let the word of God shape us, let the word of God drive the discussion and shape our hearts, shape our minds, shape our response. That the world is trying to drive and a lot of Christians are actually being deceived into going with the world's agenda and you need to let the word of God drive because we are transformed by the spirit through the word that's that's how you get the renewing of your mind by the spirit through the word of God so we're in Hebrews 10 so find that in your Bibles if you're not there yet and we're in this three-week series who we are and why we gather as we regather the best thing to do right now is to say who are we and why do we gather as we regather let's go ahead and just let's go ahead and take a moment and actually reassess and then we'll dive right back into Ecclesiastes uh, in a couple weeks we'll be starting uh, back into Ecclesiastes verse by verse if you're new to grace we're in we'll be starting chapter 3 okay it's a great place a time for everything okay there's a time for everything and, uh, and it, it leads to something really good for us to hear. But right now, as we're regathering, we're focused in on who we are and why we gather. And last week, we saw that we are unforsaken. Every Christian is unforsaken by God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Therefore, we are not to forsake our fellow Christians, especially in our local church, okay? Everything in the Bible that is spoken to the church is to be practiced in a local church. Okay, so it's not like, oh, I'm going to be unified with these Christians 10,000 miles away. Sure, you can do that. But you need to be unified with the people under this tent. If you can't do that, forget about 10,000 miles. So we're unforsaken, and we're not to forsake the gathering of the local church. Today, what I want you to see is that we're undivided in Christ. Therefore, don't divide this church. Hebrews 10, 19-25, it's in the context of Christ's superiority over everything. And it describes an undivided church. This is Christian unity in the local church 101. That God has spoken his final word in Christ. He spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. He's spoken in Christ, New Testament, through the written word. And trials are going to come upon the church. And it's going to come from outside the church and inside the church. And those trials are going to show the genuineness of the faith of true believers, proof that you're in the adopted family of God, and then you are to maintain your faith and your hope and your love together in the body of Christ. This is what Hebrews is is saying to the church. And what I want you to see today is this. I want you to see the heart of unity, okay? I want you to see the heart of unity and what it takes to live the unity that Christ has given us. And if you grasp it, it'll change your life. And you can't sit here today and say, I already have this one wired. Because today is a new day and the jury's out on all of us in terms of faithful living in Christ. What you've done before, if it was really bad, 
you can get a fresh start today. What you've done before, if it was really good, you can't rest on those laurels. What did, what did Paul say? Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So forget about yesterday. You gotta deal with today, and are you gonna be unified, and are you gonna help unify this church today? This is the charge, and it will change your life if you will grasp these three God-inspired heart attitudes that I'll give you. Because I think that this passage, when it relates to unity, is really giving us some God-inspired heart attitudes. It starts in your heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So here's the first. This is going to change your life if you can grasp it. Okay, number one, the, this passage is really pointing to hearts that have been made tender by the word of God. Hearts made tender by the word of God. And I'm going to say being made tender or even being increasingly made tender by the word of God. And it's based on these since we have statements that are in this passage, verse 19. Now these are indicative. They indicate what God has done. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, so it's because of the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, he died for our sins on the cross in our place. And then verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, who answers the chaos sin creates. You know, all sin, murder, racism, rioting, lust, gossip, are all heart issues. And you get a gospel-changed heart when you come to faith in Christ. You have union with Christ. There's the basis for our unity as believers, because a believer has union with Christ. Each believer is part of the universal body of Christ, and every believer is to be a part of a local church. Our essential union in Christ is an expression of the oneness for which the Lord Jesus Christ prayed. God the Son prayed to God the Father in John chapter 17, where he said this, that they may all be one. There's unity. That the world may believe that you have sent me. There's the reason for the unity. That they may become perfectly one. You know, become perfectly one. That you're growing into this unity. So there's hope for you and I. Let's say that you've caused some disunity. Maybe it's at another church. Maybe it's in your family, among believers in your family. Maybe it's in this church. There is hope for us because of these let us phrases based upon the blood of Christ. Now the imperatives based upon what God has done. Here's what the church is to do. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean, literally permanently from an evil conscience. You are secure forever in Christ. Now, we, it tells us in 1 Peter 1.23, we were born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. A believer has had their life changed by the word of God as the spirit uses the word in their life. And you are having a heart that is becoming more and more tender because of God's word. God's word is going to tenderize your heart. If, if you're reading the Bible all the time and studying the Bible all the time, and I've known this, where people are in Bible studies all the time, but they have like the hardest heart and like the most hateful people, you are hindering God's work in some way if that's going on. If you're like reading the Bible and studying the Bible all the time and no one could point you out as a follower of Jesus, something's really wrong. 
with, with you. And I'm looking in the mirror on that statement, okay? I, I had to figure out, who am I going to say? When I said you, who am I going to look at? And I looked at my friends right down here, because not pointing you. There's somebody else. It was someone else. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean permanently from an evil conscience, secure forever. And let us, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We confess a hope built upon the word of God. And it says that he who promised is what? Faithful. He promised, he gave the word, the written word of God. And he is faithful to keep every promise. Now, Hebrews is drenched in the word of God. Drenched. You start in the first few verses of chapter 1. Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. He sustains the world by his word. Uh, You go into chapter 3, and it talks about, it, it quotes Psalm 95 that I started the service with. It quotes the last part of it, and it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the idea is it flows right into chapter 4, which speaks of the word of God. The parallel thought there is that the voice of God is the word of God, the written word of God. And it says that it is in Hebrews 4.12, it is living and active. It does something. It speaks of the activity of God through the word as the spirit uses the word in people's lives. And then you get to verse 22, hold fast the confession without wavering. He's he's faithful who promised. His word is making your heart more tender. You have an unwavering heart changed by the word of God. You have all these promises in the word of God, and you have all these problems in your life. You You have problems. Welcome to the club. And you have problems, it was going on in your heart, and and then you're judging other people's hearts. And then you're looking out in the world and going, man, we're living a messed up world. And we have to look in the mirror. But here's the thing. Sin is at the heart of all the problems. And the gospel addresses sin. There are people saying right now that if you address the social problems going on right now with the gospel, that you're ignoring the problems. Well, let me put it to you this way. The world is saying, let's put a Band-Aid on it. Okay? They're hitting the surface. Like your chairs that you're sitting in, cleanest they've ever been. They've been cleaned a lot, but they're just getting the surface. There's no heart to the chair. But you don't do that with yourself. Like, I can wash my hands and get them clean, but it doesn't affect my heart. And the gospel addresses the heart problems of sin. And if you address the problems without the gospel, you're just hitting the surface. You address the problem with the gospel, that addresses the heart. So don't be ashamed of God's all-sufficient tool that he has given us, the written word of God that addresses the problems that are going on. First and foremost, Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's every nation, every ethnicity is invited to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer today, stay under the word of God. Don't slip out from underneath that. Stay under the word of God and let God do his work. You want your heart tenderized by the word of God, not hardened by the world or your own sinful issues in your own heart. I think there's a whole new breed of Pharisees that have just 
sprung up. Uh, they want you to say the words that they want you to say. They want you to do the things that they want you to do, they, to like the things that they want you to like, to lift up the people they want you to lift up, to put down the people they want you to put down. But that whole breed of Pharisees is not operating under the way of Jesus Christ. And by the way, those Pharisees are on the far left and the far right. Okay, they're in every camp. If you're not anchored solidly on the word of God as a Christian, you're not following the way of Christ. And it's very easy, very easy to be disunified amongst Christians right now. Read Ephesians 4. It's there for a reason. Read all the commands to be unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have to fight for unity. Now, is there ever a time to separate? You're like, you know, we have too big of problems. Sure, plenty of reasons. You know, and I mentioned there's reasons to leave a church. If you die, you need to leave. If there's false doctrine being taught, I wouldn't stay. If there's division that just somehow cannot be reconciled, or there's just a personal decision, there's a whole range of personal decisions people make. Romans 16 tells us this, verses 17 and 18. It says, keep your eye on, so like literally scope out, that's the, the word, scope out, put a, put a, mic, put a microscope on or, a, or on a telescope or whatever, and Keep your eye on those who cause divisions, contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. And Titus tells us that same thing. You know, even elders are to correct those who are opposing solid teaching. I mean, if someone's always pushing against the teaching of a church, they're being divisive. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. It doesn't mean that we're right on everything. But you know what's happened in the Christian community? Truth has become minimalist and under the guise of let's all get unified. Let's not worry about doctrine. Let's not divide over doctrine. That's anti-biblical. Paul said to Timothy, the time will come where it will become very difficult and, and you don't just bend the truth to bring people together. You preach the truth and you preach the word and you defend sound doctrine and you fight for the truth. So the reason you divide is because of doctrine. Now, there's other reasons. Acts 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas, both involved in gospel ministry, both godly men. Neither one of them condemned for what happened, but what happened was they got in such a sharp disagreement about a, a person, about Mark in ministry. One wanted to take him, one didn't. He had deserted them. One wanted to give him another chance. Barnabas wanted to give him another chance, and they had such a sharp disagreement over ministry direction that they parted company. Well, here's what you'll notice you'll notice that neither of them trashed each other and got a coalition of people together to go negative on each other. They just both went their ways and preached the gospel. But what was Paul doing over and over again with churches in the New Testament? Correcting them for having divisions and factions. The Corinthians were such. Corrected them for having factions and divisions. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, he, he has to call out two people in the church. And he says, encourage, literally I urge, I beg Euodia and Syntyche to agree. Here are two people that are in the church that are having a fight. And it, they, I guess they're airing out in front of everyone because everyone needed to tell them to get along. Now, we are afraid of a hidden virus. Hey, I'm a germaphobe. I understand that. Okay, I'm afraid of all the viruses, all right? But here's the deal. 
we're also afraid of saying the wrong thing in this moment or else we'll get defriended or unliked or whatever, right? But we're not afraid to hurt our family in Christ and to say whatever we want and to reject people. I hope you're not the type of person that signed up for second hour instead of third because someone might be there that you don't want to run into. You need, if you're part of Grace Church of Orange, you need to unify this church, not divide it. Not divide it with your words, with your judgment, with whatever you might do. And, and here's what I have found over the years. I, I've found that hurting and unhappy people are angry and they have a hard time being healthy. And they lash out at other people in the church. I found these things usually self-correct. Usually people close to them speak the truth. But here's the deal. If your heart is becoming tender by the word of God, you will love Jesus and you will love people to the extent that you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. Not picking and choosing which ones, just all of them indiscriminately. If your heart is being made increasingly tender by the word of God. You wanna lean into unity? Your heart needs to be yielded to God and say, I, I wanna do what the word says and I am gonna say no to myself a lot because I'm supposed to not lean on my own understanding. I'm supposed to lean on God's understanding in the word. Okay, second thing. The second heart-based attitude is this, that your heart would be being made more eager to love your brothers and sisters in this church. That your heart gets, is tenderized Therefore, you're more eager to actually do the hard work of loving each other. Look at verse 24. Put your eyes on verse 24. Let us consider, figure out a way to, to live out these three interrelated actions. Stir up, gather, and encourage. Stir up one another. Let's look at that one. Stir up one another to love and good works. That word is provoke. Now, some of you are going, oh, I get to provoke people? I kind of like that one. I'm a provoker. I like that one. Now, the Old Testament speaks of God being provoked to anger by his people over and over again, right? But not once are we told in the Bible that God has to be provoked to love and mercy. Yahweh needs no provoking to love. In Exodus 34, 6 and, and 7, it says, I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness. Hebrew literally means, when it says slow to anger, long nostrils. Like God being personified has a big nose with long, big nostrils, okay? And here's the idea. If you're, if you're short-nostrilled, um, then you get angry quickly. Uh, picture uh, an angry bull pawing the ground, breathing out dust, nostrils flared. That's uh, short nostrils, okay? The Lord is long-nostrilled, okay? He's got big nostrils. He, it means he's patient. It means he's not short-fused. It means he doesn't have a hair trigger, it takes a lot to get God mad. He puts up with a lot. But here's what we think. We think that God's anger has a hair trigger. We, we think wrongly of God. Your whole life as a Christian is going to be God showing you that the things you think are not right, and he's going to correct you by the word. God's anger is not spring-loaded. His mercy is not slow. It's exactly the opposite. His anger is provoked. His mercy is always ready, like a faucet, like, like the always hot you know, water that you can just turn right on. Now, us, 
sinful humans, we need exactly the opposite. We have to be provoked to love because we are easily provoked to anger. So we need, to we need no provoking to anger. We need provoking to love and good deeds, which is love in action. The Bible's going to keep changing your mind about who God is and who you are. You have to love deeply if you want to get provoked to love. It's an increasing thing. You become more eager to love. If you're going the opposite direction, God's going to pull you back and cause you to repent. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, We were ready to share with you not only the gospel but our very lives because you became very dear to us. Like, we love you so much. We're going to share our life with you. If you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even the ones that, that, that you have a sinful attitude towards, you can work anything out peacefully. Love is bigger than anything in its way. You know, I, many of you know I like John Owen, and he talks about gospel church unity, and he talks about a spiritual unity that God has given Christians, the unity of the Spirit, as Ephesians 4 puts it, which he says is a product of being spiritually and savingly united to Christ. So if you are spiritually and savingly united to Christ, you will have the unity of the Spirit. It's a, a fact. But then you've got the unity of faith, where you believe what the Bible says. And then you've got the unity of love, Owen says, where you now work hard to forbear and be patient with fellow Christians. And that gospel love is not choosing, it's not choosy, and it's not exclusive. It, it's an act of forbearance where you take the mistakes and faults and infirmities of others, real or imagined. But what do we do? We quickly write people off. Well, they're always like that. Well, no, I'm going to give you room to grow in Christ. I'm going to give God room to tenderize your heart by the word of God. Even right now, you have you have space. God's given you space. And you can have a heart made more tender by the word and a heart made more eager to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love bears all things. To bear literally is like a, a roof. Put a roof over it. it protects. Like this tent has a, a roof on it, a top on it. And it was really windy this week and it didn't blow down. It's protecting us from the sun right now. Titus 3.14 says we need to learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. We are to be provoked to love and good deeds. We're to stir up the best among the Christians that we know. Uh, don't stir things up negatively. If, if you're guilty, by the way, of stirring things up in terms of disunity, just repent of it. R repent means change your mind about it. Confess your sins. Make things right with people. This is what Christians do. This is the joy of what it means to be in Christ when your heart gets tenderized by the word of God and you actually say, I'm eager to do what's right. So you can praise God for that. And if you remember this, if you're not working to build Christ's church, you're working against Christ. You know, the elders of this church care about this church greatly, but Jesus cares far more. Do not be guilty of working against Jesus in terms of not unifying with brothers and sisters in Christ. There is spiritual warfare going on. John 10, 10 says that the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to fracture our blood-bought unity. I mean, in this church. 
Think about it. Now, you can, you can have a virus and be asymptomatic, right? We've heard this a lot. This is a good day to be tested for church unity, to examine ourselves, as 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith and then do what is right. Paul tells the Corinthians, you guys have messed up a lot of things. You know, I have more things that I can commend Grace Church about. The Corinthians were really messed up. Grace Church is way better than the Corinthians. No, think about it. How prideful could we become? And how prideful is that comment? We have to always be the one going, Lord, is it me? Have I done anything? Have I done anything to even cast a shadow of a doubt over unity in the church? Time together is what is necessary. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together is it the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Don't discourage one another. Think about it. Your enemy is, is the devil. Your enemy is sin even. Right now we're making enemies of skin color. Your enemy is not skin, it's sin. Your, your, your issue is not race. You need to, to, to believe God's grace. But what happens is when you don't get together with the, with the body of Christ, I know you've been like aching to get together, right, for so long. But what happens is you start doing ungodly judging. And right now we are living in this climate that is thick with judgment and suspicion of other believers because they posted something that we don't like. They said something. They looked at us the wrong way. Whatever it is, we go from pandemic to uh, pandemonium. It affects our souls. And it pushes against unity in Christ. We need to encourage one another. That literally is to come alongside one another. You have to be present. Uh, that you're personally asking and listening, not telling, but listening and sharing and helping. Not forcing your opinions, but actually listening to people in the church and working together for Jesus and the gospel and work together for the flourishing of all. To be eager, to have a heart that is eager for that, where you have empathy towards other people, when you have understanding. You know, we look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. But what we are being called to do in this passage of Scripture is to have a heart that is tenderized by the Word of God and then a heart that is very eager to do the strenuous work of loving our brothers and sisters in this church. Just start small, start there. If we can't do this, can't do anything outside either. This is how the world will know that we're disciples. This is how this neighborhood will know. But we feel like sometimes, doesn't it feel right now where we're living in the time when everything's a tangled ball of yarn? Everything's just tangled up. We don't know how it got the way it is and we don't know how it started. And you could have something like that. Forget the protests and everything that's going on right now. Forget COVID-19. Think January 1, 2020. Remember back then? What was going on in your life then? What were the disunifying factors in your life then? What was happening in your heart then? All that's happened from here on out has been like upheaval, right? But you can still have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control coming out of your life in eagerness and I'm telling you, I tell my kids this a lot when they were growing up. We got five kids, and we, we have two younger ones in our home now, too. So we have, I guess, seven kids now. And um, I tell them, hurting people hurt people. Somebody's hurting, they're going to hurt somebody. 
and everyone's hurting, so everybody is getting hurt. And some people are more sensitive to pain, others are having a higher threshold, but everyone needs understanding, and everyone needs a, a, a shoulder to lean on and, a, and an ear that will listen to them. And we gotta do the one another's. You just make a list of the one another's. There's a good homework assignment for every Christian. Make a list of all the one another's. You know, everyone right now is like, I gotta bear the burden of the whole world. No, you don't. That's Jesus's job, all right? He upholds the world by the word of his power. You know what your job is? Bear one another's burdens in this church. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens in this local church. All the one another's are applied to a local assembly of Christians. Bear the burdens of your family in Christ in this church. Cast your cares on Jesus. And your heart is going to become more and more tender by the word of God. Your heart is going to be more and more eager to do this. And let me just give you one more, okay? One more. You notice at the very end of verse 25, it says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see that? You see that? Are you awake? You see that? Tell me you see it. Okay, thank you. Okay, I just, I just want to make sure that you have the pulse. You got a pulse. Uh, it's getting kind of warm. I'm getting sweaty. I know. Air conditioning's on, though. <laughs> the third heart attitude is that your heart is being made ready to see Christ. That you are actually yearning to see Christ. It's a heart that wants Christ to return. It's a heart that wants to be with Christ. All the more as you see the day drawing near. One step closer to home. This hope we have, Hebrews 6, 19 tells us, is an anchor for our souls. We're looking to Jesus. The time is short. Make the most of the opportunity. Redeem the time. All of that. Do all the gospel work you can, then yearn for Christ's return. This is your time. Right now, you, could, you can, if you're a believer, okay, just recommit now to who we are and why we gather. Don't refuse the word of God. Love your brothers and sisters in this church. We're undivided, therefore don't be dividing. Fight for unity. Remember this, the body of Christ is not divided. There is peace in, positionally, but we live in a condition that is fallen. But the body of Christ cannot fully and finally be denied. It will not fully and finally be divided. Unity is beautiful. When you, when you get those glimpses, it's beautiful, the glorious glimpse of unity. But disunity is very uncomfortable, isn't it? We do not like it. It is very unsatisfying. The world's version of unity is very short-lived. You know, the friend you have that until you disagree, all was well. But here the Lord Jesus offers us a superior unity, a gracious, non-superficial unity. Ephesians 2 talks about this, how Christ is our peace, how Gentiles weren't part of, of, of God's family, but then by his blood, Christ took who, those who were formerly far off and brought them near because of his shed blood. And, in, and Ephesians 2.14 says, he himself is our peace. He is the peace, he's the binding agent. He's the eggs, he's the flour, he's the glue. You know, in the first century, uh, there was a great ethnic and social hostility uh, between Jew and Gentile. It was, it was horrible. And the gospel completely dismantled that. 
We're living in a world right now that is broken. There is shattered glass everywhere. We want to blame everyone. We are left heartbroken. We feel the pain of a world not right. You feel the pain of a world not right. We want restoration. We want Jesus to come back. Think about how sick and tired you are right now of all the unrest. You grieve. You lament. You frown. But we don't live with a perpetual frown in Christ. We live with hope in our hearts. We live with joy. The, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And right this moment, we're living in a time in, in, in history where it is tough to be unified in Christ with other brothers and sisters in Christ, even in this church. But when Jesus returns, he's going to make all things new. You're not going to have full unity satisfaction this side of heaven. It's not going to happen. We look to the day that's approaching, the day that is drawing near, as it says in verse 25. That's not going to be full unity this side of heaven. The day is drawing near. So look to that approaching day when our unity will be full, will be perfect in the new heavens and the new earth. When, when all barriers to unity will be destroyed, will be demolished, will be removed. But until that day, you have to deal with it together. Every day, one step closer to home. I'm reminded of what uh, Tolkien had Sam say at the end of the two towers. Here's Frodo all sick and weary. And, and he says, I can't do it. I can't do this. I'm, basically, I'm defeated. And Sam says to Frodo, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. Sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? The Bible tells us that the world is going to be restored. That we're going to have a rev Revelation 7 verse 9 scene at the throne where, where people from every nation and tongue and tribe will be worshiping Jesus. One day there will be full unity uh, amidst vast diversity. It will be all doxology, all praise to Jesus. That's what it will be. And right now, you know what I, you and I get to do? We get to see glimmers of, of that coming reality as we have hearts that are tender made tender by the word of God as we have hearts that are made eager to love one another in this church and, and hearts that, that are ready to see Jesus. More and more becoming ready to see Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that our hope in you is, our, is the anchor of our souls and that you are our unity. You are our peace. May we trust you. May we love you. And may we love one another for your glory and others' good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come now to the table, and you've got those individual element things. I just want to remind you that my heart would be not to leave anyone out from partaking, but God's heart is that if you're not a believer, this table is not for you, and God's heart is more loving than mine. I might want to say, oh, just go ahead and do it even if you're not a believer because, you know, I don't want to make you feel bad. 
God, on the other hand, speaks the absolute truth to us and says, whoever takes this table in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. Taking this, the bread and the cup in a worthy manner, that's if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. You don't have to be a member of this church. You have to be a member of the worldwide body of Christ, okay? The universal body of Christ. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus to save you apart from any work you could ever do, you believe in the shed blood of Christ in your place on the cross for your life, and you've trusted in Christ, you love Jesus, you're imperfect, every one of us is. Some may point at you and say, I don't know. God knows you. If you're a believer, God knows. The Holy Spirit gives you assurance that you're a believer even through the word of God as you read it, and you go, yes, yes, I believe this. In 1 Corinthians, we read these words, and Paul, it's the earliest, the earliest version recorded of the Lord's table. And Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And what Jesus said, this was before he went to the cross, he's in the upper room with his disciples. He took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And he's instituting a simple meal where we would remember on an ongoing basis that Jesus died for our sins in our place so that we would be freed and be able to have forgiveness and be able to be free to serve God's purposes. So for every believer, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We also read that after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He's saying, remember me. Remember what I did. My blood was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of Christ. The Bible tells us that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another together as we do what Jesus instructed us to do at this table. This is beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you died for our sins on the cross in our place. That doesn't make us want to live however we want. It makes us want to live however you want. To trust you and to love you and to serve you and to yield to you and to, in the strength you give us, do what is good and right and true according to your word. We thank you that you've given us this table to remind us soberly and joyfully of new life in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I guess would stand with us as we sing in closing. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin joy in life had led me to
It's been really good to be with all of you. Uh, there's, there's a day coming when you don't have to sign up for church. But there's also a day coming when Christ returns. We look to that day. We look to that day. Um, as you leave today, uh, please exit this way to your right uh, towards the uh, playgrounds there because the next group is coming in this way and it's just the flow. Thank you to our great crew. Uh, they're going to be cleaning the chairs and what have you. But I uh, hope you have a wonderful week. I want to close with uh, one verse and then I'll pray. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And Lord, thank you that we could come together today. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace and for your glory, we can be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in your work. And thank you, Lord, that it's not in vain. You use us for your glory. And bless this group as we go out um, to do your work in the world for your glory and others' good. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Temptations playing out. God, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord of peace, renew a steadfast spirit within me to rest.
The truth you learned in the beginning 